Yeah, so you do remember Jude, right? Because it's been like three weeks since we've been in this book. If it's your first time, uh, this will be a great time to do the book of Jude because uh, we're going we're gonna to read the whole book. It's only 25 verses, and we're going to kind of do a recap. Uh, so you'll get, you'll get the highlights without getting a lot of the uh, utter gloom and darkness, which is a lot of the book of Jude. So uh, Jude is like a three-legged stool. Have you ever th- sat on a three-legged stool before? Um, hopefully you've not sat on a two- or a one-legged stool because it's just not that stable. In order to understand the book of Jude, you have to read it in light of its three major themes. And those three themes are that the world is an ungodly place, but in the midst of the ungodliness, God's people are called to contend for the faith. And as we engage with the ungodly world that, frankly, we were all a part of before God saved us by his grace, God promises to keep his people till the end. So we need all three of these in order to have a balanced and right interpretation of this whole book. These three work together to communicate the gospel, frankly, to communicate that Christ came to seek and to save the lost. So uh, look for these three themes as we read the letter uh, together. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago, they've secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a a slanderous accusation against him but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men, they speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves, They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. And of all the harsh words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. 
They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So we're going to study the last part of this book today, uh, verses 20 through 25. And I'm actually going to go out on a, kind of out on a limb. This is not normal, but we're going to start with application. The last six weeks, six, maybe even seven weeks, I think, because we've even done this. We, we've prayed for our lost friends, even when we haven't been in the book of Jude. Now I want us to like actually do something beyond praying. Praying is great, and sometimes praying is all that God requires. But often, God uses prayers in addition to practice, actually doing something about what we've asked God to do something about. So here, here's what I want us to do with application. Pull out your cell phones. And these are example texts. I'm not telling you what to say. I'm not telling you you have to do this. This is an invitation. This is an invitation. If you believe that Jesus is inviting them into his kingdom, this is an invitation to be a part of what God is doing or what he might be doing. This is an invitation to inquire. God, what are you doing in my friend's life? I've been pestering you like Jordan talked about two weeks ago. I've been, I've been pestering you, God, for you to save this person. Now, would you act, God, on his behalf, on, on my behalf, for your glory, would you act? And uh, um, I'm going to send my text now. So here's, here's our moment of silence to send the text. And uh, yeah, if you feel weird and you're like, well, that's not really what I want to do, that's, that's fine. I mean, you don't have to do it. Uh, but I would encourage you, don't wait until you feel like it because you just might be waiting a really, really long time. And we're all forming habits all the time. I think it's really good to form the habit of praying and praying and praying and pestering God and then doing something uh, with what you've been asking God for and, and seeing, God, how much you answer um, so let's pray. Since we just sent the text, let's pray that God would soften hearts and do what only he can do. Uh, Jesus does the heavy lifting in the ministry. He does the heavy lifting and we get to be a part of it. So Jesus, uh, we trust that you'll do the heavy lifting of moving people from not being curious or interested at all. Moving people from uh, being convinced of their self-sufficiency <laughs> to their absolute need for you. And I pray that we could connect with them at that point. We need you, Jesus. I need you even as I have prepared this message. Uh, apart from you, I can do nothing. 
but we trust your word won't return void. And we also trust that your word won't return void as it comes out of our mouths. Whether it's on a Monday over lunch or a Tuesday night text message or a Thursday afternoon phone call. You use your people to accomplish your purposes. So God, would you use us? And if you want to use us right now, uh, this service, make them, make them call. <laughs> make them call their friends who just reached out to them um, and turn this worship gathering into a prayer meeting where there's not enough room in this building for people to go and talk to their friends. Uh, and so we just pray silently for each other the rest of this time. Amen. And we will do that. If you get a phone call, leave. If you leave and you come back and you're just pointing to me like this, we're going to call the sermon and we're just going to pray. And we're going to do what Jude talks about. We're going to contend for the faith together. So I don't know what God's going to do, but uh, we'll see. So here's another application of the book of Jude. Uh, contend for the faith. It's apologetics. And each week we've been in Jude, we've had an apologetic of the week. Uh, this week, we're going to look at the historical resurrection of Jesus. And the reason that we look at these reasons for the faith is because it's not just, it's not just for us to share with other people who don't believe, but it also encourages us. When we remember exactly how many reasons we have to trust God and we forget not all of his benefits, we're encouraged and we're better equipped to go and contend for the faith. And when I say go, I mean like go to your neighborhood, go to your coworkers, go to your family. So here's our apologetic, the, the historical resurrection of Jesus. The gospel accounts in, in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us that women were the first witnesses and that men were the second. And so I can't tell you all of the reasons that the resurrection of Jesus is a great reason to believe him. But I will say that if they had made this story up, if the disciples made this story up, they, wouldn't have, they, would, they shouldn't have put women as the first eyewitnesses because women weren't credible eyewitnesses in their day and age. And uh, if they made this story up, why would they proclaim Jesus had risen from the dead in the same city just outside of Jerusalem was where Jesus was crucified, why would they proclaim Jesus first in Jerusalem? Because everybody in Jerusalem knew that Jesus had been killed. Some people have put forth, and you can even read in the Bible, this theory's been around a long time, that the body was stolen. But if you look at all the evidence, if you put on your investigator hat, and you look at all the evidence, how? How could the body have been stolen because the Romans and the Jews had all the power and the Romans and Jews, they were the ones who crucified Jesus and the tomb was guarded by them. So who stole the body and how'd they do it? And why couldn't the Romans and Jews with all the power and the energy and the resources, why couldn't they produce this stolen body? Instead, what happened was this ragtag group of followers, these ordinary folks, men and women, they shared this faith, they suffered for it, and ultimately most of them were killed for it. And other people believed them and followed. It was not an uprising that was squashed, but it was something that was from God. So in summary, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it would be very improbable 
uh, for there to be an empty tomb with women as primary witnesses and with many witnesses seeing him and proclaiming it at the risk of their own lives. So Jesus' resurrection, it was really the beginning of a movement, and it's a movement that's still being carried on today. Uh, When you're talking and when you're thinking about Jesus' resurrection, it's not like, yeah, I believe that, just like I believe strawberry ice cream is better than vanilla ice cream. No, it's, this is something like, I believe that we were made to breathe air. (laughs) And so if I have a friend who is convinced that they can breathe water, uh, I just, you know, I can't just say, well, that's what you believe, this is what I believe. No, I I care about you enough to to tell you, this is going to harm you, if not destroy you. So let's jump into our six verses today. And we're going to see that Jude gives us three actions to take in regards to contending for the faith. Three actions to take in order to contend for the faith. Again, the whole book was written so that you would contend for the faith that God has entrusted to you. And the first action, I find this really interesting. When, when Jude says, okay, contend for the faith, tell people about Jesus, uh, the first action is build each other up. Like, get encouraged and stay encouraged in the context of community. He says, you yourselves build each other up. So it's plural, not just Jordan, you know, go do whatever encourages you and y'all go do whatever encourages you individually. It's do it together. And so specifically, he says to pray in the spirit. And you, uh, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting phrase, isn't it? Don't you want to know what praying in the spirit is? Well, I think it's contrasted with verse 19 where he says these men, they were void of the spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit, pray. <laughs> and pray in a way that you would ask God, would you show me what to pray for? Like the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach me how to pray. I think there's also something to be said for praying out loud with other people who you know are following Jesus. I know for a number of people, praying out loud is really uncomfortable. But that's a way of praying in the spirit. This is building each other up together, building instead of dividing, like the men that Jude wrote about were doing. Jude says to keep yourselves in the love of God. And this whole letter, Jude is saying, God has kept you, God will keep you, but he says you have a responsibility to keep yourselves in the love of God. And then he says to eagerly expect mercy. Expect when Jesus comes back. Look forward to that. And so this is done in a number of ways, but here at our, at, at our church, in our community, we do it through small groups, building each other up. Our daily time with God impacts what we bring to small group. It impacts what we bring to Sunday morning. It impacts what we bring to work. It impacts our life. All of these things, our life is one connected whole. It's not compartments. So we do life on life in the midst of body life, in the midst of life together. And then the second action Jude tells us to take is relating to others. And when he's talking about these others in verses 22 and 23, he's talking, to unbel- he's talking about unbelievers. Because even though he said that they've infiltrated you, they've, they've come into your midst, he never says kick them out. He says this is how you're to relate to them in mercy 
This is where he says, be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So mercy is just caring for someone. It's having compassion for them. And I found it really interesting that the end of verse 21 and, yeah, let me get my verses right. Yeah, the end of verse 21 and then verses 22 and 23, mercy is the connecting point. He's, he's saying, y'all, y'all want mercy? Y'all are eagerly looking forward to mercy? That mercy that leads to eternal life? Be merciful to others, is what he's saying. So y'all want to receive it, y'all better be willing and ready to give it. And so mercy is the truth. It's, It's the principle, and it's applied differently in different settings. Truth is not relative, but the application of it, it can vary. So doubting, that's like someone who's deciding or wavering. Your job is to extend a hand of mercy to those who are undecided about Jesus. It's like, here he is. Grab on and I will help you. I'll help you follow Jesus. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. Mercy means when they grab on, you grab on. And then you pull them out. You exert effort. And then mercy mixed with fear is like, my hand is here, but if you give me that that sin-stained clothing, I'm not going to grab that. I'm not going to change the gospel to meet what you want it to be. I'm not going to offer you Christ on your terms. I'm going to offer you Christ on his terms. He is the Lord. You're not. You can't have Jesus and have life your way too. You have to submit to him as leader. He has to be the king because he is the king. And so there's this, there's this sense in which we offer mercy carefully because we know the world is an ungodly place. But that's Jude's picture, is a hand of mercy, ready to receive anyone who's ready for Jesus. And, and you might be thinking, well, how can I know the difference between those who are doubting, those who are ready, and those who uh, I need to be fearful of? <laughs> and I think the answer is uh, doing it prayerfully, doing it in community. Um, God, will lead, God will lead you. It's not easy, but it's possible. And, and let's dive more into that phrase. What did Jude mean when he said snatching them out of the fire? I think based on the rest of the book, it, he can mean nothing else other than the way that he used fire earlier in the book, which is eternal judgment. So in verse 7, Jude wrote, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns, they gave themselves up to sin, to sexual immorality and perversion. And they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So that's the other spot that he used this phrase, fire, in context with judgment. And he's connecting Sodom and Gomorrah with these unbelievers who are infiltrating and kind of influencing negatively the church that Jude wrote to. But the the important thing to remember, I think, is that Jude never says, kick them out. He says, extend a hand of mercy and then let them decide how they respond. And all of this to me, it brings to mind uh, C.T. Studd's famous quote. Uh, C.T. Studd was a missionary with, I think, a studly name. I I really like his name, Mr. Studd. Uh, 
Here's his quote. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. So it's a rhyme. Uh, and I like his intent or what I perceive his intent to be is, is like, I don't want to live a safe life. I want to live a life for the glory of God. And I know that God's heart is for the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. What I don't like about this quote is it has a me, me and us mentality. Like me as a missionary, C.T. Studd, and them as a church. And I can't ask Mr. Studd what he meant because he's been dead for 86 years. But I can change what he said to capture what I believe God is saying through Jude. So here's my revision. The church, meaning individually you who are committed to Christ and collectively, the church should be a rescue shop within a yard of hell because the good news our words and actions tell. So as I've studied Jude, that one thing's just kept coming back to mind and it's a challenge for me and I think it's a challenge for us. We will not be a healthy church if we do not tell people about Jesus who need to hear it. And who needs to hear it? I do, they do, you do, we all do. The church should be a rescue shop within a yard of hell because the good news our words and actions tell. That's an uncomfortable place to be within a yard of hell. And that leads us to the last action that we're to take. And it brings together everything else. It's trust, trust God, because he will keep you to the end. And the reason we contend for the faith, the reason that we build each other up is out of this trust relationship with God. So if you're kind of concerned about the type of neighbors you might have within a yard of hell, or if you're afraid of messing up and being contaminated, you know, like extending a hand of mercy and getting burned, trust that the God who said he will keep you to the end will, in fact, keep you to the end. Because when you extend a hand of mercy to someone else, when you're trusting God, you will experience God there. It's, you're only at risk, you're at most risk of falling when you're moving. And Jude says that God promises to keep you from falling and to make you stand on the last day. That doesn't mean that we'll live a perfect life, but that means that in the end, we will be faultless and blameless and with great joy before our Savior. So you will experience God as you share your faith. And that's been true for me personally. I grew up as a Christian, but I never really shared my faith a lot. When I started sharing my faith, I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> I was still an introvert, but I experienced God. And I knew him more deeply, more personally, as I stepped out in faith. And that's, that'll, that'll be your story too. So I just want to invite you to share. Not, our, our call is not to batten down the hatches and wait till Jesus comes. To redemptively reach out is our call. And, and I've heard this before, maybe you have. Sometimes it hits me, you know, and makes me motivated and makes me feel something. Sometimes it doesn't, and I think it sounds corny. 
but I think it's true. Sharing Christ is only something that you can do on this side of eternity. Sharing Christ with a lost person. You won't have that opportunity in heaven. You won't be able to experience God like that. And I'm not saying that's the end all be all. Like, I'm just applying this passage to us. It's not the end all be all to see someone who's not a Christian become a Christian. Because we have to continue to teach them everything that Jesus commanded. Like that's part of the Great Commission too. But I'm just saying, if we're not praying for the lost and sharing the good news of Jesus with them, we won't be a healthy church. And uh, frankly, we won't be healthy individuals either. So the book of Jude says, as we live in the midst of ungodliness, as we live in an ungodly world, God is calling us to contend for the faith. And in the midst of that, we can trust that he'll keep us to the end. So let's pray together and we'll continue in worship. Father, this is something I've been wrestling with uh, for over a year, and I want to keep wrestling with it. And I pray that you'd bring lost people into my life, and you would burden my heart for them like your heart is burdened. We want to build ourselves up as a community. Help us to do that well. Each person has a role to play. And we don't want the end result of building ourselves up to be like, man, isn't our building so awesome? Isn't, aren't we so awesome? Haven't we gotten so much better? But uh, we want to be moved mission we want to be moved to what moves your heart so help us reach out redemptively in mercy would you speak to us now how to do that and we just say yes to whatever whatever you say we say yes so please speak as we continue worshiping